there's so many things that, that go on during, during Christmas and the holidays, and part of it is, you know, just the, the busyness of it, but also, also bearing in mind that uh, Christmas and holidays in general, they bring up to the surface a lot of things that are easy for us to, to kind of push aside throughout the year. Uh, there are a lot of people that uh, when they're going, uh, traveling home or, or visiting relatives, they're reminded of uh, relational dysfunction uh, that they grew up with. And there's times where there's uh, old relationships that, that there's wounds in, and the holidays forces them to confront that. Uh, the holidays force a lot of people who have lost a loved one uh, to, to feel the, the weight and have another reminder of, of that person's absence. Uh, just as, as a quick comment, as a church, one of the ways that we can love, the, love each other is just by reaching out to, to those people that, that we know that have lost someone and just sending them a quick message saying that they're not, they're not forgotten and their grief isn't being overlooked. Uh, but there's so many things that you're just, even as you're trying to be healthy and the amount of cookies and uh, sweets and things that are flying around and you're just like, just kind of one more thing of I'm, I'm seeing uh, the problems or the difficulties in my life uh, and the holidays make us, they, they confront us with things that really we're facing throughout the year. Um, it's, it's easy to, to, to look at some of the difficulties we have in life, whether it's, it's conflict with other people, whether it's just uh, the frailty of our own, of our own lives and bodies, uh, whether it's just looking at, at the brokenness around us and, and think, God, are you going to come and fix these things? I need a God who is powerful enough to, to come and resolve these things. Are you, are you able to do this or not? Why is there not, why is there not healing? Why, why is there still sin that I'm struggling with? Why is there still so much brokenness and conflict happening in different relationships? Is the gospel not enough? Is God not enough for these things? And sometimes, especially in, in moments with Christmas, we can look at this and say, God, where, where are you? Are you not working right now? I need a God who is big, I need a God who is powerful, and I feel like I'm waiting here, uh, waiting for you to act. And there's nothing wrong with praying for miracles, there's nothing wrong with asking for God to come and, and step in and enter into a situation, but Christmas, it, it suggests that the way that God tends to operate is a little bit different. It shows us that, that maybe the way that God operates the majority of the time isn't through these great, magnificent displays of power. And so if that's what we're expecting and if that's what we're waiting for, then it's possible that we might miss some of the things that he's doing. That we can have an expectation that the way that God should work, the way that we want him to work, is through, through great power and this was a problem for, for many people, and this is the reason why so many people rejected him. You know, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians today, and in the, in the part of 1 Corinthians that we're talking about, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's explaining why the, so many people had difficulty accepting who Jesus was. 
In 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 22, he writes, The Jews demanded signs, and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. He, he talks about two groups here. He says there's the Jews and they demanded signs. So there's Greeks and they're looking for wisdom. The Jews, if you, can, if you can remember their situation at this time, they are a group, they're a people group that is under the rule of, of the Romans. They are anticipating this Messiah who's going to come and, and who's going to liberate them. He's going to restore the kingdom. He's going to be their king and rule over them. There's going to be peace and prosperity. It's going to be a time that they've never had before. And they're waiting for this liberator to come. And so in anticipating someone who's going to come in great power, someone who's unmistakable to show up, they wouldn't expect someone who's, who's born in a stable. The, the Greeks are, are looking for someone with great wisdom. These are, these are people that they had, they had institutes where, where great philosophers would come and debate and they, they could hear lectures and they could hear what, what is the right worldview that we should have. Like what, what logic makes the world make the most sense so that I can live in accordance with that and I can have the fullness of life. And they're saying, this is what strength looks like. This is what power should look like. You either should have the ability to, to understand and speak with deep insight, a, a scholar, or you should be someone who is politically or militarily strong. And when Jesus is neither of these, they think, this isn't, this isn't what the person was supposed to be. This isn't what true power looks like. This isn't where there is hope. This person doesn't fix our problems. When, when we approach God in a similar way, when we see God ultimately as someone who fixes problems, we can have an expectation of this is the way that God is supposed to work. I, I understand what the problem is. I now understand what the solution is. And so God needs to come and work this way. And so this is a, a transaction that we need to have with God. God, I'll give you what you want, but you need to come and you need to address this need and this brokenness that I see. So come and resolve this. And it makes it hard for us to see what else God might be doing. We, we set an expectation for this is what it means for God to work and this is what power looks like. And... God doesn't tend to work that way. I, this is uh, a deeper way that uh, often I try to maintain control over my life. I'm interested in God to the extent that I don't have to yield any of my power, any of the control that I have in my life. I know what needs to be done God, you need to do it because I, I recognize I can't. But that's the extent of God's youth, usefulness. God is a, a, is a tool for me. And so I want to maintain control over my life, but I know I need God to help with this problem. There was, there was a way I was confronted with this about, about a month ago in, in my, my own wrestling with this. I, I was having car problems, 
Um, if this means anything to you, I needed to replace uh, an oxygen sensor that was under the bottom of uh, the bottom of my car. Okay, so I. I'm like getting under the car. I can't. I can't get it off. Uh, but luckily, my next door neighbors. There's there's a handful of them living in this house, and a bunch of them are mechanics. So I'm like, okay, they ha they. I think that they have a tool that can help me. So I go over to their house, and I'm just like, can I just borrow this? Uh, they end up coming over to my house, uh, and one of them crawls under the car. He gets it off, and then I ended up buying the wrong replacement part. So he drove me to AutoZone. And he's like, I can get you a discount. So he got me a discount, and then we come back, and then he crawls back under my car and, and installs it. And afterwards, I felt, well, during it and afterwards, I felt so uncomfortable because I took up two hours of his evening. Like, he had finished work already, then all of a sudden he gets a knock on the door from his neighbor and is like, hey, can you come help me? And then it's like 8 o'clock, and now he finally gets to go home for, for the night. And the only thing I could think to do was I said, can I pay you? And, and so, like, I feel so bad that I took up your time. The only way I could relate to him in that moment was in a transactional way. You, you did a favor for me. I can't receive it as a favor, so at least let me compensate you for it. So then we're square. And the, the sadness in it is it was hard for me to receive that just as an act of grace. Like, God forbid, what if, what if he wants to become my friend after this? Like, <laughs> oh, no. And, you know, I, and I don't feel comfortable with that. And so can I just pay you and then we can, like, move on and this is now in the past and I can say, hey, thanks again for that. Like when we wheel our trash cans out together and that can be that. And it was just hard for me to be able to say, I am going to, I didn't ask for him to do this. He did this out of his own kindness and generosity and I'm just going to receive this. No, one, no one's forcing him to do this. He's choosing to do this just because he's being kind and neighborly, and, and I'm just going to accept it. But instead, my, in my, my desire was I would rather relate to him like he is, he is uh, a hired hand or he is someone that, that I uh, have some sort of just, you do something for me, I do something for me, you're, you're a tool that I used to fix this problem, and now, and now I can move on. And there are times where, when we view God like this, we then prevent ourselves from under being able to understand and take in grace from him. Because, okay, God, what's the cost of doing business with you? Because I need you to fix this problem, so okay, I'll go and do something for you, but now come and meet this need that I have, and then we can call it square. And then we can move on and we can say, that's that, and I can maintain control. Larry Crabb uh, has this that he writes. It says, I hear Jesus telling us to stop negotiating with him, to stop offering something we think we have in exchange for his blessings. The truth is we, we don't have control. The truth is the things that we think that we're bartering with, the things that we think we have to offer, they're not ours to begin with. 
And all it does is it prevents us from being able to receive the grace that he's offering us. The expectation so often is that, God, I see the problem. Come, show your power through overt ways. Then I'm going to know that you're God, and I'm going to see that you can, you can accomplish great things, but I want to maintain control. And this isn't what Christmas looks like. God showed his power in a different way. And this is something that's hard for so many people to accept, and it's counterintuitive to us. He, he shows his, his power instead through his humility. Paul, Paul, going back to 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, Jesus, Jesus was born, he came on Christmas, and he came destined to die a humiliating death on the cross. And so you can imagine the, the, what, what the Jew and the Greek are expecting. The Jew expecting this powerful liberator, the Greek expecting this, this insightful scholar. And you can imagine if they were to look at this baby in a manger in a barn, thinking, how does this fix the problem? What, what, how is this a solution to the problems that we see? This is a, a helpless child born to a, a carpenter's family, not someone who would, be, who would be educated and insightful, not a family of status. How does this fix anything? This isn't what I need. I have these other problems that this doesn't help with. And we can be frustrated and we can say, God, you aren't doing what I need you to do. You're not fixing the issue. And Jesus is saying this, that the, the power that God ultimately has, it's not in him uh, in being displayed this way. He says in, in Matthew 20, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That God shows his power ultimately and through how he serves, not how he gets served. That he shows his power through how he loves, not through how he conquers. That this is what, what his, his power looks like. Um, this week, uh, I got invited to, to um, do a guest lecture at a class at Biola. Um, and I was, I was asked to speak about, about empathy and, and ways, to, uh, ways to do like active listening. Um, when, when you show empathy, uh, part of it, there's a strength that is required for empathy. Um, when, you, when you have empathy, you have to be aware of, of your own needs. Uh, you have to be aware of your own emotions. And there's a part of you that has to be able to know that and be able to set it aside and say, for this part of the conversation, uh, I'm setting this aside and holding it back, and I'm going to try to enter into your world and to what you're sharing. And I'm trying to understand your perspective and what you're experiencing. And so it's, it's a huge difference between that and being able to say, I'm understanding what I would do if I were in your shoes, but I'm saying, 
what you, I'm trying to understand what is it that you're experiencing and seeing, and I'm trying to enter into that experience. When, when I'm talking about this and I'm sharing this with, with the class and we're kind of talking about ways that you could do this, uh, I'm so glad one student raised his hand and he asked the million dollar question and he said, well, what's ultimately wrong with fixing things? Like, why not just give advice so when somebody has a problem, why not just tell them what they need to do? Why, why do you need to try to hold your, hold your own emotions back and try to enter into somebody else's experience? What does that even accomplish? Because you're going to do that and then the conversation is going to end and they still have the same problem. So what does that resolve? Just give them good advice and they can fix it and then they're better off, right? And, and it's such a valuable question. There's, there's a number of things you could say to it, but one of the most important things to, to recognize is we could give the best advice to each other. We could go around and we could share what our problems are and somebody could have something insightful to say back to it. But it ultimately doesn't matter. It ultimately won't get received if there isn't trust in the relationship. Like, I could tell you the most insightful thing you need to do in your life, and if you don't trust me, you're not going to receive that advice. It's not going to be something that, that fixes you. Jesus, when he comes and he's born, he comes and he physically and literally enters into our world. He lives with us. He experiences life alongside people. And he, he's modeling empathy. And he's doing this building trust with people. Rather than coming and saying at a distance, I'm just going to fix your problems, I'm going to resolve it, and so you can move on with your day. He's saying, first, I'm building a trusting relationship because I'm with you. That Jesus shows empathy when he comes. He shows that the, the deeper need isn't just fixing the problem. It's, it's more important to actually show that he's with us and along with us and that we can choose to trust him. And that trust has to precede any kind of fixing, any kind of um, being able to receive anything else that he has to offer. If we can't trust him first, then we, we miss everything else. And so the question becomes, then, who wants a God like this? If you are going to trust someone, you are going to yield some level of control. It's not going to be your, your secret. It's not going to be something that you can manage on your own. It's something you've let someone else in. You've yielded some control. And so then we're inviting God and giving space for God to actually decide what's the appropriate solution. What, how does this actually need to be healed? How does this need to be restored? And God has to become more than just a tool. And who's comfortable with that? And so if I ultimately think I know what the problem is, I know what the solution is for this, I'm not going to be interested in a God who is going to come and be with me. Just fix the problem, God, and move on. I don't, I don't need you for anything more than that. 
but instead Jesus saying, I came, I'm with you. I came on Christmas and I entered into your world. Will you trust me? And this is what he offers. He enters into our world. He subjects himself. This is a message of hope. Paul, Paul continues. In verse 21, he says, For since the wisdom of God, uh, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I want to I want to reread that that second part. Um, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What I want you to notice is uh, okay, just grammar wise, through the foolishness of what was preached. Uh, this is this is just a prepositional fla- uh, phrase. So. God was pleased to save those who believe. Like, if we're going to simplify this, it pleases God. God delighted in saving people. I think there's, there's a part of us that, that can think, okay, God did something on the cross for me. Uh, did he regret it? Like there's the God God went and did this is or is he he did this but now now it's like he reconciled me with him but then don't I need to like get my show my, show that my act is together or get serious about my faith before like his patience runs out and then things will be things will be okay like is he running out of his patience is there kind of this ticking clock that I need to get serious about my faith. And there's, there's a part of us that can think, I've, just, I've screwed up too many times. God doesn't want to be close to me anymore. Does God really want to be with me? Because look at the mess that I've made. Like I should be past some of this stuff by now. And he, Paul is saying in verse 21, he's saying, no, God is pleased to save people. God didn't, didn't regret this. He didn't regret what he's done for you. He didn't regret that he came on Christmas. He didn't regret how much he suffered. He didn't regret how much this cost him. He was pleased to do this. He's glad that he did it. He delights in this. And there's so many of us that, that we look and we see our failures and we see things that I, I shouldn't still be carrying this issue with me. I must have burned all my bridges with him. He's got to be fed up by now. Or at least he's, he's over there off to the side and he's waiting for me to get things together and, and to clean stuff up. He's telling me, come on, it's time to move along and I feel the pressure of, man, God's just fed up. And this is the, remi- the reminder that, no, God, God was pleased. He's with us. He's next to us, and he wants us to grow in godliness, but he's with us in it. He's walking with us 
towards godliness. And he's saying, I want to help you. I'm with you. He shows empathy that I understand that there are temptations and there are difficulties and that progress is slow. Will you yield some of your control and let me walk with you? And he's saying, the the ultimate desire isn't for us to get fixed. It's for him to walk with us. And will we let him? You know, some of the ways I, I, one of the ways I see this happen a lot of times is uh, I have a conversation with, with someone and, you know, something, something bad has happened. And so then, then the observation is, well, this happened because of my pride. And so God is trying to humble me right now. And so, you know, I, I need to get serious about things, and so I'm going to go read my Bible a bunch, because uh, that's what he wants, and I'm going to get more serious about praying and more serious about coming to church, uh, and thing, things between me and God are good. And my question is, did God tell you that? Like, did you, did you ever talk to a, a wise friend and say, like, are you noticing pride in my life? Did you ever talk to God directly and say, are you, God, are you doing this? Are, are you causing this because of pride in my life? Instead, what, we, what happens a lot of times is we have, we're controlling one thing, and then because something bad has happened, we're trying to make sense of it, and so then we just respond to in controlling in a different way. And so if I just do good religious things, then I'm going to get good religious benefits from it. And at no point did we ever talk to God. And, th- and there's a part where we need to say, God, am I willing to listen to you if you had something to say? With the, the people that you've brought around me that care about me and I know are safe people, am I willing to listen to them? Or am I so firm that I need to have control over this that I've tuned everyone out? And so I'm going to figure out what the problem was. It must have been my pride. And I'm going to figure out what the solution was. The solution is read the Bible a whole bunch more. And then things are going to be fixed. And God is saying the deeper problem is we need to give him control. We need to trust that he is with us. This, this isn't something that necessarily is, is, is easy for us. But this is a message of hope that God is devoted to us. You know, as we're, as we're going into the holidays, as, as we're reflecting on all the things that, that are meaningful about Christmas, one of the things we, we, we remember is that God showed his compassion and his empathy for us that he desires more than for you to stop sinning. He desires to be with you. He desires you to trust him. That God loves you and he is walking with you. And as much as we we see the problems and think, God, why can't you just come and fix these things now so these things can be done with? 
Maybe the deeper issue is he would rather us learn how to trust him and give him control through the midst of these difficult things. And so we, we look at this and we say, this is, this is a hard thing to do and this is a hard thing to receive. And God, I am trying to trust you in the face of this. That as much as I want a solution, as much as I want there to be healing in this, God, I trust that you are a good and faithful God, that you are with me and you are a God who is devoted to me. And we know that when God is like that, it is, it, it is easy for us to, it is much easier for us to turn to him and, and find our, and, and give him control.